You're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. Welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. And we're coming at you with a brand new Film Friday. I am so freaking excited about this Film Friday. This is, yeah, this is awesome. Been I'm waiting for really it. glad we're covering this movie. Oh, yeah. And thank you to everyone that suggested it. Uh, I think it was Ashley Marlowe that was the most recent yes, suggestion, indeed. but it was thrown at us from a few different angles. So appreciate it all from everyone. Yeah, you guys have good taste. You definitely have good taste. Uh, yeah, but we're not going to jump right into it. We've got a tiny, tiny bit of housekeeping before we get into, honestly, one of the weirdest ones we've covered, even though it's hard to top mm. some of the things we've talked about on Film Fridays. <laughs> but a couple little things. The first one being just near and dear to my soul, be strange because we're strange and we mm-hmm. like to create strange things. That's why you guys are listening to this. But we've uh, <laughs> got this project that we've been talking about on some of our past episodes, our clothing project. Uh, through the network, Straight Up Strange Productions. So we've got some new designs coming. The Sasquatch, uh, the forest creature was really, really popular. The crewnecks totally sold out. We're going to come back with some other cool designs with that for you guys. But in the meantime, there's some uh, mini squatches up there for you guys to check out. So we've got some kids shirts. We weren't really planning on doing kids stuff, but we thought, man, these look really cool. They're so adorable. And we know some of you guys listening have kids, you know, little cryptozoologists in the making. Mm -hmm. And those that don't have kids are usually aunts and uncles. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Great birthday presents or whatever, right? (laughs) So yeah, check it out. Straightupstrange.com. We've got the whole collection up there and some new designs coming. Uh, So it's a really cool way to help support the network, support Mm -hmm. us. And it's all original designs. So it's really, really cool. Totally. Also, Amber, you had something to mention here as well. Of course. Yeah. Another way to support us. Patreon. Woohoo. <laughs> we have made a few changes on our Patreon. We're trying to streamline things a little bit here, but just want to remind you guys, we've got a pretty big backlog of episodes uh, that are Patreon exclusives. And That's if you right. sign up at either our $5 or $10 level, you have access to a lot of them. Yes. So... This is kind of funny because we have a lot of listeners. Like, we have over 25,000 unique listeners to the show every month. Yes. And just over 20 are actually supporting us on Patreon and have joined the the strange collective that we call our Patreon community. Yes. Um, and I just wanted to say, like, it's, it's just so heartwarming when we do get new patrons. Shout mm-hmm. out to our latest, like, Kim and uh, Lauren over there. Definitely. And I just wanted to say, like, we really can't do this without you guys. And we on, we know that not all of you can support us. And for those that do and have for as long as you have, that's amazing. Totally. It's just, it makes us so inspired. And we just want to make the show better and better, which is why support is so important. Because you guys, like your suggestions, your conversations, we value all of these so, so much. You guys are important. You're a huge. You're part of, you're all of this. Exactly. And the beautiful thing about Patreon is that it is a community. And so it is back and forth. And, you know, like it's just amazing. The, the little increments we get every month, they really go a long way. Huge. And they allow us to spend more time on making the show better and just 
making it more than what it is right now, whether it's yeah. research, resources, time to do more interviews, uh, go on on location too. We're actually aiming right now to get some sweet portable recording equipment for when we go to Europe in the fall. For our honeymoon, I'm making it happen. Weird places. Making it happen. It's going to be real. Yeah, definitely. And uh, we're going to cover some spooks and legends over there on location for you guys. So we just want to have our ducks in a row and make sure we get the best sound quality. Yeah. And so that's one of our major goals. And yeah, we want you guys to come join us over there. So, yeah. but we do have another option, right, Andrew? Totally. I mean, we understand that not everybody can contribute monthly to something. We totally get that. We just appreciate everyone who listens to the show. But we also added something kind of cool. If you don't want to make, you know, regular contributions, we've signed up for uh, Buy Us a Coffee. So mm-hmm. kind of an essential resource for uh, podcasting. We are uh, pretty hopped up on caffeine almost at all times while we're on the mic. Mm, wine so caffeine. if you want to support the show, <laughs> you can just chip in a couple bucks, uh, like, you know, buy us coffee. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that all goes towards so cool. uh, everything that we do. So it's a huge help. I love it. When I first heard about that, I was like, how do they get the coffee over to me, though? <laughs> DoorDash, it's a delivery. That's the next uh, sponsor oh, we need to get. That would be amazing. Yeah. Imagine if, like, Skip the Dishes had, like, you could gift someone a bucket of KFC or something. I would Ooh. take that in a heartbeat. I wonder. Anyways, I get, anyway, you sold me. Topic here. Sold me. So, yeah, those, uh, those links are in the show notes, guys, so you can go check that out. But Let's get into it. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. So what are we talking about today, Amber? We are talking about the unseen, the underground America that is us. Right. This is a Jordan Peele film. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, his second film after Get Out, yeah. which we still have to see. We haven't seen that one. But this... Which he won an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay for Get Out. Wow. So we definitely have to. We are behind the times and we're big, uh, we were big Key and Peele fans oh, back of the comedy aspect of his That's amazing. Yes. So we are getting into this idea of us or them, mm-hmm. or are we them? You know what I mean? Ooh, there's so and many questions. it begins with this premise of what they say. There are thousands of miles of unused underground spaces, subway systems, service areas, mine shafts, many with unknown purposes. Hmm. Reminds me of Hellier. Yeah. <laughs> right off the bat. Very creepy. Oh, yeah. Oh, almost like the void kind of esque too, right? It's Descending got that into the. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And we get more visuals of that later in the more the climax of the movie there. But this is later kind of revealed as the home of what we know as the tethered in this film, which is this other that Peel does a brilliant job of bringing to life on so many levels. The, you know, the 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 dialogue the movements, the visual, like the costumes, all of it. It's amazing. He does really well with timing. Timing is In terms of the suspense. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, there were some complaints you and I were laughing at ourselves about how it seems slow paced. People were complaining. I didn't find that at all. Mm -hmm. I thought the timing of the whole thing was, was really quite well done. And I think it's more like what you expect too out of this movie. I didn't expect this to evolve beyond the original, the, the first house, to be honest. And so for me, it was like, boom, this is great. This, is, went, just, this is just going in all to- sorts of directions. Totally. And so anyways, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. But we're, yeah, like I already said, this is kind of revealed, this underground America as this home of the tethered, these people or things that are doomed to this subterranean existence unseen by the rest of America. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, immediately what brings to mind is the idea of this ultimate symbol of the unseen suffering and the gross mimicry 
of the haves by the have-nots. And we get these weird visuals later in the movie, and, and it all kind of ties together for me in that way. It's almost this perverse mirroring of this obligatory presence that the tethered find mm-hmm. themselves under, right. uh, like they're held by the strings of a puppet master. Yes. Mm-hmm. And obviously you guys are all aware of this, Film Friday, spoilers abound. And yep. we all know, even from just watching the trailer, if you had never seen this film before, that it's about this, right? Uh, not the tethered specifically in the language you're using, but essentially like doubles, doppelgangers, whatever yes. the terminology you want to use. And we'll get into that in a little bit. Exactly. I just was very careful about throwing that word out because they never use it. So, Which hmm. is very curious to me. It is very curious. There's a lot of... A lot of stuff going on in this movie. When you watch it a couple times over, a lot of the things pop out at you right away, such as Hands Across America. Of course. It seems very comforting the first time you watch it. It's like, oh, this is sweet. It's setting the era for us, right? Yes. Because you get like the, you know, as a color TV, it's obviously the 70s. You get that sort of dated look to it. I think it's the 80s. Or sorry, sorry, 80s. Sorry, my bad. That's all good. Ah, 1986. Yeah. For us, it's... Yeah. 70s, 80s blends together. Ah, sure. Sure. <laughs> People will hate me for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> no, the 80s is the 90s and the 90s is the 2000s. I've argued this for, for years and years. Exactly. First few years of any decade. So, anyway. Yeah, the 80s, 70s. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so we get this first visual of the movie, which is this TV ad for Hands Across America. From sea to shining sea, millions will tether themselves to fight against hunger. Join and see how you can help, reads the ad on TV. Right. When you see the movie a second time, uh, way more uh, ominous, I would say. And it kind of references inequality right off the bat, right? Because it it was a thing. It was a real thing. It happened in 1986. It was a public event. It was kind of incredible, to be honest, this concept of people holding hands. Across the entire country. Strange. Yeah, it's a, it's a great metaphor, obviously. Especially in light of coronavirus right now. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Whoa, no. I'm not touching anyone's hands. Yeah, exactly. Lots of hand sanitizer. <laughs> uh, the person who uh, touches their face constantly. I just can't help it. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, Anyways, well. Mm-hmm. I'm only doing myself a disfavor here. That's right. <laughs> but this Hands Across America was a real occurrence. Approximately 6.5 million people held hands for 15 minutes. Crazy. Yes. And this was trying to form a continuous human chain. It was togetherness, right? It was Mm -hmm. a fight against hunger, poverty, all this stuff. And this definitely becomes one of the key plot devices in this movie, as this ad is one of the last things our main little girl, the main character, Addie or Adelaide, or Adelaide, sorry, Adelaide. Yes. uh, She sees this before she, like, air quotes here, disappears at the fair. Mm -hmm. And we get into this very ominous scene, but... Interestingly enough, the shirt she's also wearing that's underneath her thriller t-shirt that her dad wins for her at the fair is also on her when she disappears in big air quotes again. Yes. So this is, I love the scene because again, storms billowing, you get it off in the distance, you see the rains coming in, beautiful visual where she walks into this 
oh, this creepy vision quest find yourself amusement attraction. (laughs) She literally descends into it, which is a huge metaphor there too. Sure. And she is followed by the rain. So it's almost like a cleansing or something like that. You know, rain functions as a symbol of that in a lot of ways. Yeah. And that almost, you you kind of like just sparks, yeah, a thought for me, like the tie-in with the whole idea of the the biblical references and the sort of prophetic, the prophecy-like language used throughout this film Mm -hmm. and that kind of comes in line with that a little bit right like the storm brewing like the rain the cleansing yeah um you know and this comes up when she's when the monologue happens between the the two main doubles between adelaide exactly right exactly we don't even really like it's kind of crazy how this basically you get this very small scene at the fair and with baby adelaide adelaide sorry i keep mispronouncing that but she gets trapped in this house of mirrors the lights go off she is surrounded by darkness light and dark is a huge metaphor in this too we get the symbology with the lighter later on with her son jason yeah but i loved this because it's very just leaves everything up to your imagination like what happened in that house of mirrors you don't really know right off the bat yeah it's all you get is the quick jump to a white rabbit (laughs) right well do you want to talk about white rabbits then it comes let's, up a lot. Let's just jump Matrix, into that. what? Uh, Alice in Wonderland. Alice in Wonderland was the first thing mm-hmm. I thought. Right, you know, follow the White Rabbit, mm-hmm. and of course, this came up in a million blogs and different articles we we read, and we were trying to like, okay, what was the symbology? Peel was really thinking with the white rabbit mm-hmm. in the end like we can talk about it some more I got some points to make it was kind of funny though because in the end he made uh, there's a, a quote from him in an interview where he basically just said they seemed creepy he chose it because it just and it totally mm-hmm. did I mean because rabbits have this sort of they straddle the line between being very cute and cuddly creatures they don't fall in line like rats or other animals that mm-hmm. are seen as like you know associated with the plague or things like that right but then they're also associated with like experimentation yes. uh cult Cloning. ritual like pagan ritual potentially even like they yeah. remind me of things like that you know what i mean i don't trust a white rabbit man look at those red eyes that's no. creepy that's like what's going on in that rabbit like the, it has a duplicitous nature in my mind and i think you're describing that very aptly yeah it, do- <laughs> it definitely does and yeah. of course it's used in a whole bunch of different symbology across cultures and across millenniums essentially all over the world so you can really pick apart however Mm -hmm. you want whatever symbology you want it to mean it definitely connotates the idea of an experiment in my mind especially with the cages and the the vast amount of them the cages in and of itself yes definitely implies experimentation uh it's also a metaphor of like being caged oh yeah right and and you anyway we're getting ahead of ourselves here but we'll come (laughs) come back to all of it because the movie's just chalked full of symbology and then there's another very early uh symbol where the son jason runs and hides in a closet which seems to be his ritual at the cabin because he knows it locks so he has a toy ambulance that he slots into keep the door from closing on him i thought that was really strange because you added this in here like there's mm. symbology right in there like 911 emergency help like the symbology of the ambulance in and of itself exactly also it was a miniature version of the ambulance they the first day at the beach right and okay. the first sort of not maybe not the very first but one of the very early signs that Addie gets where she's like things aren't right mm-hmm. right now so big ambulance little ambulance big spider little spider that comes up again later too there's a lot of sort of like these doublings of things that are like large and small like like that kind of thing going on oh 100 yeah i like and and even yeah no totally Addie is the one that's picking up on all of this and she's the one that has this weird 
tension surrounding her. And she even describes it. She calls it like a dark cloud that's just like, you know, shrouding over her and just looming and coming for her essentially. That and is so really interesting know. too because that I, that comes back into some of my theories at the end of whether or not mm. they're all really connected. Okay. Like beyond just... That she's sensing something. Exactly. Beyond her immediate consciousness. Right. And yeah, no, totally. That's... Yeah. We're getting to where the plot's starting to develop more because they're at this... You know, it's there. Was it the grandparents' house or something like that, or it was uh, an old family home? I, yeah, it's a it, yeah. And there's there's old photos, right? Like the, on the mantle, there's like the older generations of her family. It reminds Addie's me family. of the, a family cabin, right? Exactly. Like the classic family cabin. It's supposed course, to be super homey. Yeah, but for some reason, as soon as Addie comes back, she feels off. And it just continues to get worse for her. Right. And this is kind of heightened when they travel to the beach. They meet the Tylers, huh, a.k.a. Tim from Tim and Eric. That's right. Yeah, Tim Heidecker. That caught me yeah. off guard big His, time. His uh, rosé and vodka-loving wife uh, played by Elizabeth Moss. That's a fun role for her. Kitty. I was not expected. I was like, oh, okay. She's yeah. definitely run the gambit of a lot of dramatic and not supernatural per se. She is getting into supernatural with the Invisible Man, I guess, coming out. But yeah, uh, that's right. I guess yeah. you could say Handsma- Handmaid's Tale is not supernatural, but in the realm of sci-fi, sci-fi, yeah. yeah, future dystopia type thing. Sure. Yeah, I loved this though because there's a lot of little things along the way to this beach that she picks up on, like the idea of the uh, what's it called the the homeless guy that's getting carted into the ambulance like you mentioned he comes up again he's holding hmm none other than a sign that says jeremiah 11 11 we will talk about that in a minute of course but she already saw that guy in her youth yes Mm -hmm. as a youth (laughs) as a youth at the fair so she's already getting these uh parallels so to speak and the same ride is still there it's pretty freaky man it's called something different now it's called merlin's forest but it still reads find yourself with a big arrow into the entrance super on the nose but also so creepy very to just have that right on there it's like well super weird okay yeah like what do you i guess yeah the find yourself in a hall of mirrors very much so or lose yourself Mm. anyways i love this because there's this kind of hilarious scene with kitty played by elizabeth moss and uh, adelaide and she's like you know kitty's trying to be all like you know like not like it's like broing down but momming down with her kind of thing you know what i mean where she's like trying to wife small talk like they're just like she's trying to make small talk exactly it's not really landing well not really making small she's just talking about herself and how she was like she's like oh you used to be pretty good at dancing right i could have been an actress and she starts going (laughs) on about that yeah yeah. (laughs) and then meanwhile you see that Addie has completely distanced herself and she doesn't really hear anything that's coming out of elizabeth's mouth she's just scanning the beach and looking over at that ride and then at one point she says to kitty she's a hard time talking just talking and in my mind i was like yeah because this kitty chick is kind of annoying and clearly not in your culture not culture you know what i mean like your vibe so to speak um but anyways yeah I, I'll, this is kind of a little bit of foreshadowing too, right? Because it it's is. like, what kind of character does Addie actually have? And who is this chick really? Uh, is she just antisocial or is there something more going on? Well, she obviously seems paranoid from the, from Jump Street. She is paranoid. And it's like, we automatically ascribe that to the fact that she's back at the scene of her trauma. Yes. Right. When she was a little kid and they ascribe how she didn't talk for weeks PTSD. and weeks and all this kind of stuff. Right. 
Yeah. But it feels more than that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It feels like more than just the mom spidey sense. Well, there was a couple of things. Like, I mean, the Frisbee, like, why don't you talk about a couple of those things? Yeah. Well, I liked your play on the Frisbee there, too. You were talking about how... I don't even know what you said exactly. Just well, I mean, it lands perfectly in the circle, the blue circle, right? Like perfectly around the mm-hmm. outlined edges. And I thought that was early sort of like um, referencing to the tethering, like to mm. – uh, Like it fits mold. Yeah, like again, this this could come back to like ideas of like, relig- like religious overtones being involved here too, like prophecy, like things are meant to happen almost, right? Mm-hmm. And she says that later on, like a, a couple scenes later when they're at the cabin and she's like, feels like a cloud has been over me, right? Mm-hmm. And – it's almost as if, yeah, there's like these Things little symbols, these up. little warnings. Yeah, these, yeah. And, and it's as if it's meant to happen. Also, I just said this to you literally right before we started recording. It was like the red and blue. I mean, if we're talking, if we're believing that, if there's that a reference to like anything having to do with like political division in the United States and like blue and red and like Republican, Democrat, because the title us is very kind of on the nose for being not just us as in the family, but the U.S., us mm. because he's talking about them the country yeah, that is the, the united country. states it's, it's right it's set in america this isn't happening in and Iraq. the underground tunnels beneath the country and like a question that comes up at the end of this episode for us is like how far does this all go yeah you can even tie that into the it's not even just red and blue it's red blue and white with a star yeah so there you go it's like right on the nose Captain there america <laughs> sure. Basically, right? Oh my gosh, speaking of Captain America, I saw wedding photos of someone that literally had a Captain America shield in one of his wedding photos. <laughs> Classy. Hey, what is some it was hey, so awesome. Whatever you want, right? It's your day. Yep. Okay. So <laughs> this is right where we get the first doppelganger though. I'm using that True. Word. Okay, are we gonna call like it that? It. I or like a double Doppelganger doesn't really fit though, because we're talking more it's the implication bit- is like government more government y government conspiracy e mm-hmm. like right from Jump Street. So let's, I, I don't know. I've, True. I'm peppering it in here throughout, but I kind of want to talk about Jeremiah 1111. 1111. Everyone Googled this instantaneously when they were watching this movie. Yeah, the dead guy on the stretcher too. That was the first guy that we see holding his hands out on the beach. And he's seen by Jason, the youngest of the family. And I think that's eye-opening for him. I think he's a seer in the family. He definitely operates on that level. He doesn't say much. He's he sees, watching, he understands, and he's hiding behind his own mask, which is really cool in my opinion. But <laughs> he sees the first guy, and he sees him wearing his... It's kind of strange because we don't get the red jumpsuit jumping out at us right away. <laughs> pun intended, but we get the visual of the guy standing with his arms outstretched with his big haggard coat on. Yes. And a little bit of the cuff of the, you know, the... The red suit. Exactly, underneath. You can kind of see in his hands all bloody. Mm-hmm. Hmm. He's hmm. not holding his scissors, though. I wonder what he did with them. I think they were poking <laughs> out, like just poking out. Were they? No, I'd I have to oh, go back okay. and check again. I'd well, have to go check. Presumably he used the scissors, so he's the only one who didn't get them. No, well, I'm just saying maybe he disposed of them after he did what he needed to do kind of thing. Jeremiah 11, 11, 11. Read this as creepy oh, as you possibly can. And Jeremiah 11, 11 states, Therefore, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will bring evil upon them for which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. 
that was the King's James version. <laughs> King James version. Sorry. Deal with it yourself. Yes. This comes up so many times in the very beginning scene at the fair when Addie's a kid. Yes. Later on when the guy's on the stretcher and we see it with his cardboard thing. It's kind of interesting that the guy with the cardboard is the first to go because he's definitely one of the ones that's the worst off. He's not privileged at all by any means. And that's kind of the the mirror that they're kind of trying to play on is the 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 underground, the unseen suffering, and then the privilege on the surface world. Yeah, but that's an ironic statement that I'm like comment it's I made to you very, the first time we watched very it. Very like, ironic. It's like that a lot of them would be better off like down almost. there. Almost. Yeah. Like if you're a total like down and out near dead meth addict mm-hmm. and then your double is like doubling that, but technically not addicted to meth. Hopefully, yeah. They're both pretty horrible options. Mm. Just saying. I guess maybe if you got rid of him, like your tethered one, then you would be able to relinquish or free yourself from that. Is that the whole idea? The untethering, to essentially? To like just not do meth and like to go on and do other things? Perhaps. Because you're not, you're not made to mimic it and you had no inkling towards it in the first place. So, Well, I mean, the, the, this quote, or quote, this, this um, Jeremiah eleven eleven here, the King James Version, just to k- kind of build off what you're asking me there, like implies that, again talking about prophecy and talking about how there is something that potentially knows about this and just it's okay for this to happen, like for the tethered to come up. And this is their, it is judgment day for those above in a way because it's something they created and even those who were blind to it like refused to acknowledge. And like Mm -hmm. that's the metaphor of the movie too, right? It's like the us and them, but it isn't the really, ignorance but it, at all. exactly. Cause it mm. isn't actually underground. It's right there in front of us. It's right on the street. And we have, I mean, we're not, it's the same in Canada too. Yeah. Crazy, uh, inequality. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, that's, that's yeah. I think what it's speaking to, but it's also, yeah, yeah it, I mean, eh, no, no chance for those above. Seemingly. Uh, if you go in this the, scenario, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. cause they basically kind of, the tethered are are coming out. Uh, before they do, though, Adelaide has still got this inkling. And sh- as she's putting Jason to bed that night, she kind of she tells him to take the mask off. That's an interesting part. Mm-hmm. And she says to stick with me and I'll keep you safe. And then when she puts him to bed, she realizes it's 11-11. Hmm. Judgment right. hour. More of the, yeah. But Jason, he's, like I said, he is one of those characters that he understands more than he should. Uh, for his age, especially. Yeah. He is, maybe it's his innocence that helps him into that. Maybe it is just his personality in general. Maybe he's got something he inherited from his mom. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But he he's a seer. And the lighter is a huge symbol of that, too. Yeah. He's constantly in the car and all this stuff. He's trying to light it, light it, light it, light it, and not getting there. <laughs> he eventually does. There's that really interesting scene with him and his double in the closet and the double has matches, and he's known as being like a bit of a fire starter. Yes. Pyromaniac a little bit there. But there's this whole weird scene, this reveal, right? Because immediately Jason realizes that he'll mimic anything he does, and he puts out his hand, and then he does the hand test, then he does the mask, and then his double pulls up his mask to reveal a very grotesque figure underneath. Right. And even before that scene, Jason, as he's being put to bed, his mom picks up the the picture that he drew of the, you know, the, what he saw earlier that day. And he doesn't mm-hmm. really tell them what he saw, really. He's like, oh, I don't know. No, okay. he kind of brushes it off. He kind of does. And it's like, well, do you not know? Or why would you paint that or draw that or whatever kind of thing? So he's very much a, this kind of a seer, but he is wearing his own mask. So what is he? 
is this mask kind of like a symbol of the other within? You know what I mean? Like, is he constantly... Well, you're asking that question kind of based on what we find out in the end. A little bit. A little bit. Another way to think of it, too, is the idea of it's paying homage to Friday the 13th, Jason, in that movie. Oh, it 100% is a nod to that. It has to be. And he does several, like Jordan Peele does a couple of those throughout the film just to... Sure. Yeah. Yeah. that and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yes. What do you think of Jason, though? Jason was a character I noticed obviously way more in the second time around, mm. the second time we watched, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I almost even, like, I even missed the first time the drawing, like, uh, that he did. You know, oh, like, little yeah. things like that. I missed oh. that the first time. Yeah, and it's interesting because he's know? always seen it with the sun. Like, there's a lot of that. So where the sun's mm-hmm. behind him or the sun is in the distance in the background. He ends up being one of the, uh, the more clever uh, in the family, though. He and mm-hmm. like the dad's useless. Like Gabe is essentially useless. He's yeah. He's Chevy Chase, like kind of like you know what I mean. Like he's <laughs> he's useless. His leg is bummed the entire time. Like he manages to take out Tim Heidegger. I guess that's pretty great. And himself and his own double. Yeah. But mm-hmm. anyway, the kids are pretty badass. The kids are <laughs> like, yeah. They do much at. better than they kind of the do. Dad. Adaptability, man. Yeah, I guess so. Right. Yeah. Well, that's kind of, yeah. So the whole family dynamic is is interesting. They're very cohesive. They're very, like, honest with each other. And mm-hmm. I think that definitely speaks to why they obviously survived or, or as long as they have or had in the film. Right. Unlike the Heideckers or the Tylers, as they're called the in the ty- movie. Yeah, the Tylers, yeah. <laughs> Where he's just a total douchebag. And, yeah. And uh, basically just gets his throat slit on the spot. Yeah, not but a pretty end for him. These guys definitely have a little bit more to them. And Addie especially, she's the most interesting. She's got these really interesting looks. Like her eyes are just, they have so much depth to them and so much dramaticism hidden within. And oh, you're yeah. like, what is really going on there? Totally. And you don't really know. It's no. just kind of this strange, because we, we get the fact that she was that little girl in the very beginning of the movie. Yeah, of course. And that she had some sort of traumatic experience and all this stuff, but where is she now how do we describe her character from child form to adult form kind of thing you know what i mean like yeah and like what was the formation of her talking again yeah Yeah, no totally we don't see that and all we see is basically her as a kind of a very quiet child right at the fair she doesn't say a single thing she just wanders until she just picks the shirt that's the only thing she says that's the only thing and she yeah it's very strange in the sense that she obviously disregards her mother's command when as soon as she goes to the bathroom her dad is useless whatever she just kind of wanders away and a lot of kids would do that or go as far as she did it's something was drawing her there something was kind of drawing her there the storm was billowing all the stuff and then in adult form at the very beginning at least she comes also very like you know mommy she's very hip they're listening to like hip-hop rap in the car and whatever else and it's a very like you know she's showing her son how to like you know rhythm with the song yeah and they seem very like cohesive and together there's no classic there's no cleavages or anything like that you know what i mean Mm -hmm. yeah so they're very strong and like we've already alluded to a lot there's this, this something brewing and this idea that she's witnessing all these things line up like you said already this the fake spider uh, it's kind of like a toy on the coffee table and she sits, she parks herself on the couch and then she looks over and there's the real spider crawling out and she's the only one that sees that and she kind of looks and keeps looking and she's yeah. like, hmm, doesn't do anything about it. Uh, she also has weird like flashbacks to in the bedroom, um, or sorry, not in the bedroom, it was like her makeshift like dance studio room in the house. Remember yeah. that where she like she goes to the the doorway and then she looks in 
and she sees herself as a child looking back at her and doing the plies and whatever on the bar. Mm -hmm. And then it's just like this weird feeling though. It's like, she is almost like questioning. Yeah. She's remembering. Yeah, well, she is remembering, but like from what perspective, right? I guess I but don't that, know. Yeah, and that that comes back again to a question I'm going to ask at the end because it's like, are the memories even crisscrossing? Yeah. I think, especially when she's explaining to Gabe her experience, because Gabe is totally unaware of this up until this exact night when this is happening, and she explains to them what happened to her as a child, and then he's like just trying to process it all, and he makes a couple dumb jokes and whatever, and she just says she's like. I ran as fast as I could and all my life I felt she's coming for me is what she says. And like, who, like really you're the double, the girl in the mirror that was real. Like, you know, like it's all so, it gives me flashbacks even just thinking about it. If you told me this, I would be mortified. Obviously we've been doing this show. doesn't help. Yeah. But it's like he, I mean, he reacts in a typical way, I guess you might say. Mm Mm-hmm. But she's starting to remember it more. It's like it's been so suppressed and now it's all Mm. bubbling to the surface because Mm -hmm. of like what is being built up as like a prophecy, even though what is actually happening is being built up as some sort of strange experiment Hmm. as well. So we're sort of straddling that line a little bit here. Yes. But before we dive even deeper down this rabbit hole, pun intended, Mm -hmm. uh, we are going to take a quick promo break from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Amber, I was so excited when BetterHelp approached us as a sponsor because honestly, there's so many people out there that think they don't have access to mental health resources and taking care of your mental health is just so important. BetterHelp Counseling Service is a new way to get the help you need when you need it. And let's face it, it's not always easy to ask for help. Well, now it is. They offer secure, convenient, professional and affordable online therapists. BetterHelp is a really easy way to get the help you need when you need it. And let's face it, those times can sneak up on you. Like in the middle of the night, when you wake up with all sorts of stressful thoughts that can cause a spiral of anxiety, knowing you can talk and have support or just someone in your corner to go to can really curb those spirals if you're anything like me. BetterHelp has licensed professional counselors who have a broad expertise in areas that might not be available to you locally. They specialize in everything from stress, relationships, trauma, self-esteem issues, or even just sleeping issues. And what's really great is anything you share is confidential, and you can begin communicating with a real person who is a licensed counselor in under 24 hours, all in the format of your choosing, whether it be desktop, mobile web, Android, or iOS apps. Totally. And best of all, it's a truly affordable option. And Into the Portal listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code PORTAL, spelled P-O-R-T-A-L. So why not get started today, you guys? Go to betterhelp.com slash portal and simply fill out a questionnaire to help them better access your unique needs and get matched up with a counselor that you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash portal. Financial assistance is available for those who qualify. So please, if you feel you could benefit from this, check it out. And again, that's discount code PORTAL, P-O-R-T-A-L, to get 10% off your first month with BetterHelp. And we're back. So yeah, make sure you guys go check out BetterHelp. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's get back into this because this is where things start to go sideways for the family Mm -hmm. because their doubles all end up in the driveway. Already holding hands. Oh, and guess who sees them? Jason. Hmm. Hmm. That's such a creepy line, right? And it's perfect for the trailer where it's like, there's a family in our driveway. 
<laughs> God, that's creepy. So spooky. And of course, already like the hands across America in the driveway, even though yeah. they're going to break that chain because they've got work to do. Yep. And all of the movements appear sort of strange and unnatural right from the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. And we get that especially with Addie, her her doppelganger, mm-hmm. the way she moves. Yes. Uh, being the dancer, the ballerina, and then we get that little montage scene, fight scene, if you will. A little bit yeah. later. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally later on in the film. But the rest of them kind of seem sluggish and slow, almost like right. zombies or something. Almost kind of. Really. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. But I mean, it's co- classic horror circumstances, which I love because they're surrounded from the outside. It kind of reminded me of almost like The Strangers, which was a comparison we saw in a lot of uh, mm. blogs and stuff like that. I don't know if you've actually seen The Strangers. Never seen it, no. But it's essentially family in a cabin, strangers in masks show up. Her, tormenting them from the outside, breaking in, that, all that kind Creepy of thing. Creepy, man. Right? Yep. Same scenario. But when they actually end up in the house, sitting on the couch, like this is almost like the climax kind of, right? Even though you get so, it just keeps building up. It's like there's mm-hmm. ledges within the climax that is the mountain that we're going up here. You building know I mean? it up, right? yeah. And the voices. I mean, there's speechless for the main members of the family. Addie's mm. the only one who can speak. Her double. And when she goes to speak, it's so raspy and unused. It's like, it seems like such an effort for her, hey? Oh, it's so creepy. Oh, so creepy. And of course, she feels the need, and this is for perfect because it's a movie, but feels the need to monologue. She's not the, just there to kill mm. and get on with it. No, she wants to explain she why wants they're to there. Do, and she wants to do it by literally starting with once upon a time, like literally saying once upon a time. Mm-hmm. Like that is quintessential villain monologuing right there. Oh, yeah. And it works because it is very, very scary. <laughs> uh, Gabe asks the question, who are you people? Or does mm-hmm. he say, what are you people? I think it's who are you people, right? Yeah, he says what. Or sorry, who? Yeah, and because he's he's convinced they want the boat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he keeps offering them shit they don't want. And <laughs> right in that moment, his doppelganger, I'm using that word again, pushes up the glasses in in sequence with Gabe. Yeah. But there's only these very, very subtle mimickings. The mm-hmm. main, the, the, the most prominent we get is with, uh, is with Jason and with his doppelganger, where he literally gets it to take off the mask, gets it to put up its hand, gets and, him to walk backwards into the flames yeah. at a later part. But it's, the others don't seem to be quite as no, connected. No, no, not Zora and definitely not Gabe. It's, yeah, it's interesting. Is it the age of Jason? Is it the fact that he just illicitly understands it kind of thing you know what I mean illicit is that a word that I'm trying to think of he just like understands it like you know like without under without having to explain it or something like that you know what I mean where it's just kind of mm. this innate not illicit innate understanding right what I would say like you know he yeah he started really to be really it. weirded out by it right and then of course we get the uh, the quote that that she was destined by God mm-hmm. to save the tethered yes and it's this mission this prophecy uh, and then, of course, again, coming back to the whole title, the who are you people? We are Americans, mm-hmm. which is a pretty interesting line. That's the most political statement in the whole movie, I think. And it is. And tying into the first, lo- the first, um, se- the, the, you know, the on-screen sequence we see where it's like uh, all the tunnel stuff, caves, yeah. tunnel systems, yeah. abandoned mine shaft stuff beneath America, not mm-hmm. scattered all over the world. Exactly. They're not talking about the Erdstahl tunnels in Bavaria. You know what I mean? That's true. Can we talk for a second about how amazing it was, like, the way that she described her story, how she described the girl and her shadow 
and how the girl was living her this beautiful life and the shadow was just living in the darkness beneath her, constantly aware of what she didn't have, but the girl had as far as, you know, presents at Christmas, growing up, having children, getting married, all things that this shadow was obliged to do on the other side. Mm-hmm. The underworld where I'm like, how much of this? Because now that they're on the surface, they clearly have some type of free will. Right. It's just the extent to which they either grabbed it for themselves, like, you know, or like, this is the revolution. This is the untethering. We're making these strides together. <laughs> <laughs> together all across america all across america well <laughs> Holding i mean, hands. I mean yeah she makes this comment like mm-hmm. the untethering it's what does that mean exactly but the plot develops from here because we, we we quickly figure out that it isn't just the untethering of her suffering it's everyone right and we think it's just the family initially that's what i thought i was so naive when i went to this film i thought it was going to be all about the struggle of this family trying to get rid of their doubles and then and then it develops into so much more yeah I was like, are you freaking kidding me? When they actually get, because they obviously go to their neighbors first, the Tylers, and discover that they're massacred (laughs) in less than like 10 seconds, these people being in their house. But anyways, and then they decide, well, wait a second, we should probably turn on the TV and see what's going on because there was no first responder. You know, they called 911. No one came. So what's going on? And that's when they realize it. This, This is not just them. This no, is everyone. Totally. Yeah. Before we even jump straight to that, though, you added in this interesting thing here with Kitty cutting her face. And I thought we oh, should talk yeah. about that for a quick second because it was really interesting, right? So Kitty, so the 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 doppelgangers for Tim Heidegger. Yeah. <laughs> and, and his and, twin. And, and his wife. Yeah, daughters. And, and his and twin daughters show up, m- massacre them instantly. There's no fight at all. How creepy were the twins, eh? That was so, so gross. Oh, my God. So Anyways. creepy. The... Doppelganger yeah. wife of Kitty. Oh, then she does a great job. Witnesses. Of that other side. Uh, 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 t- the, gosh, what's his name? I I, I just want to say Tim Heidegger. Witnesses Tim getting murdered, mm-hmm. and is like sad for a minute, right? And it's like showing emotion as if it's like the loss that she yeah. would experience if it wasn't the double above ground. But then quickly turns into almost like a laugh as if it's like just emotion that isn't even like. It's like programmed or whatever, mm-hmm. and then slowly starts to cut her face with the scissors. Oh, and I was actually, she, <laughs> that scene played out a little differently. We actually see her initially in the mirror with the lip, lip gloss, gloss, doing her lips, and then she takes a knife and starts to cut her face. So it's like she's then pretty, she but I'm not hears, pretty. She hears the disturbance outside, right. and so she goes to the window, and that's when she gets this inkling, because she doesn't see it as far as we're aware, but she gets this this knowing that he's been taken out hmm. and that's when she starts to weep but then it um, turns into this maniacal laughter and we don't even know and then that's when zora tries to sneak up on her from behind with the putter and then she just yeah doesn't really work out but then we get jason with the big crystal quartz thing the crazy whatever and he takes her out <laughs> okay okay it's just still very curious it's just all very strange mm-hmm. it's almost like it's like a motion that doesn't yeah she just doesn't know how to pro like I don't even know. Yeah, that's true. Actually, one thing that bothered, this is so random, but yeah, that's a really weird moment in my mind. And that definitely speaks to this like toying or, or this interplay between free will and the mimicry and how those kind of come out in perverse forms of behavior. And uh, I had this thought though, just now, I think I solved my problem. I don't know if anyone listening here noticed how Addie, like adult Addie 
handcuffed herself to the coffee table in the very first the confrontation scene with the tethered. She has one hand handcuffed and then she cuffs the other one to the table. So it's not as if she's cuffed both of her hands, yet somehow in later scenes in the movie, she's seen with both wrists cuffed and they're connected. Hmm. She ends up strangling Red in the very end with those same chains. And they're both connected to her wrists. The thing that I'm thinking to myself now is, was she reconnected by Kitty's double? Because she was handcuffed in the bedroom. That's why she can't do anything to save Zora when her initial attack goes sideways. Oh, that makes sense. So maybe that's when that happens. Because you were asking about that and you were like, oh, that doesn't make sense. I think that makes sense. Yeah, that really bothered me Hmm. in the movie. But now I'm thinking it might have answered that question. But if anyone's seen it four or five times, because we've only seen it a couple times. (laughs) There's also the curious uh, aspect of that scene where uh, Kitty doesn't kill any of them. I mean, she sort of tries to, like, she it's almost like self-defense, though, but she doesn't go out of her way to murder them. It's like, you get to kill your double and that's it. Mm-hmm. Because that's the plan. That's hands yeah. across America. I guess so. In their eyes. I guess. Mm. Right? Uh, and <laughs> With it, their gold scissors and red suits. So where they, do they get those from? <laughs> yeah. Who's manufacturing these? <laughs> yeah, they're so clean. And distributing these. Who is their dry cleaner? I want to know. Who, yes. Who is pressing these suits? I guess they are red, so the blood doesn't matter. But even so, blood is much darker than that red. <laughs> You need my nice green couch. <laughs> What's that from? What we do in the shadows is a green couch. It ends up red. Yes. Anyway. Okay. So then they're watching the TV and there's this super creepy line from the reporter uh, interviewing someone where it's someone who's frantically being, they came from the sewers. They're, they're coming out of, people are saying they're coming mm-hmm. from the sewers. That is awesome. That's like. That's like it. That's like it meets the purge. Mm-hmm. Because these people want to kill everyone that looks like them. The They're purge. doubles. Oh, yeah, from the purge. And yeah. so, yeah, people with these red jumpsuits, scissors or shears, stabbing people and then joining hands. This is what people are are seeing. So, what mm. is the symbology of the scissors? Like that, I thought we were asking ourselves that when we were oh. watching, and thought that was kind of strange. We're like, they're just kind of creepy, I guess. Like. It would have been a little too on the nose it's to just come up with a knife. parts joined together. Yeah, well, I pulled the, it, yeah. And it kind of looks like hands, too. It does. Or the, the what's it called? Like you're, the. You're on to something here. So I pulled <laughs> this from, I pulled this from, uh, just from a Rotten Tomatoes editorial on the mm-hmm. film. And they talk about how scissors are made, like you're describing here with this uh, very, very uh, visual description for all of our listeners on audio show here. Scissors are made of two blades, right? Joined by a single bolt. But when separated, they mirror, like, they mirror each other's movements, right? So yeah. this is like the mirroring, like a doppelganger, like mm-hmm. a double. Uh, not only then do scissors functionally separate things that are attached, but they also, in and of themselves, represent the way two like things work together and then reflect one another. That's very curious. So they're used to separate things. And obviously Red is using them in that scene, right? In the very final, like, confrontation scene where she's cutting the the people holding hands, like, almost like snowflakes, right? Where they're all joined together, but she's using the scissors. Right. Anyways. So then along that same line of questioning of, like, where the hell did they get the scissors? Well... Never mind the scissors. Where did they come from and who exactly created them mm. before we get to the scissors and jumpsuits part of mm-hmm. all of these questions? Yeah. Because that's sort of redundant unless we know where they came from. The quote from True. Peel that I pulled from, uh, oh gosh, I can't even remember which article this is from, but this is a direct quote from Jordan Peel. I have a pretty elaborate mythology and history of what's going on in this film. And of course, the dilemma that comes up is how much of that do you tell? 
he goes on to say, when there are questions left and you know there is more to the story, your imagination is left to run wild. Exactly so, like how ours are running wild. Exactly. <laughs> Apparently there is going to be a sequel called Them. That's supposed to be coming out sometime next year. Interesting. And he'll be explaining a little bit more of the mythology within that plot line, I'm hoping. Very cool, because I actually kind of threw that out. I was like, why do you call it us? Why didn't you call it them? Because it kind of seemed like that, right? It's like whether or not you want to be inclusive or exclusive is kind of where I was coming well, from. Well, I think like, it's because he wanted... In, in your perception of self. No, totally. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's it's just very on the nose, like us, U.S., yeah. United States. Totally. Like it's literally those two letters. Spell it out for me. Yeah. When we get down to... B-R-A-H. <laughs> B-R-A-H. <laughs> it's Barbara. It's Barbara. Fly the Congress. People okay. watch it. <laughs> Jason ends up... There's a whole bunch of craziness, you guys, that we could break down scene by scene. But we wanted to get to the part where, obviously, Jason's rescued because he ends up backing up into the flames and his double... Because he, he knows that'll work. Mm-hmm. His double goes down. But then mm-hmm. he's kidnapped. Yep. Ends up back down... By red. By red. Kidnapped down underneath through the mirror back into the into the carnival ride. Yeah, that's weird how it's through the mirror, hey? So bizarre. Mm-hmm. But, of course, Addie knows where to go. She knows how to find Red mm-hmm. and follows them down there. But this is the part where it's like brings up so many questions for me. But let's talk about the whole recognizing Addie thing because even okay. though we're sort of jumping a little out of place here. But Jason looks at his mom very strangely at various points at he, nearing the end. He does. He does it throughout the entire film, if you really want to look at it. He's he, very much the seer, like I've already alluded to. And he walks in on several points, one quite early in the movie when they're still at the Tyler's residence. And that's when Addie goes back to grab the car keys. And she realizes that one of the twins isn't dead, not in the place where they're supposed to be and she has this whole showdown shindig thing and ends up killing quite brutally the remaining twin in front of her son and he doesn't she doesn't realize that he's watching and she does her like death blow grunt kill kind of thing and is very animalistic in that scene and very much akin to a lot of the non-verbal language that is uh emitted by the tethered and she he just basically watches her amazed and you're kind of like, oh, this is her, her, you know, like coming to grips with all this crazy stuff that she's felt coming. This is her enlightenment. It's kind of like, you know, what's it called? Like the, not coming of age, but kind of like one of those rites of passage where you're like, this is me now. <laughs> right. This is me now. <laughs> this is me now. Totally. <laughs> Anyways, but he is the only witness to her violence and the first sign of her perhaps otherness. Sure. Yes. Yeah. And so at the very end of the movie, after the climax, when Addie ends up killing Red with, like I said, her chain, very animalist again, lots of grunting and all that kind of thing. And she finds Jason in the locker where he's hiding. He doesn't come to her. He doesn't see that scene go down and go to her as if that's his mom and that he should be comforted by that. If anything, he's very much just... I don't even know how to describe it, really. He's kind of just, like, in this state of shock, perhaps. Yeah, fair enough. And she's kind of, like, she's touching him all over. She's touching his face. She's touching her face. She's pulling her hair back. She's like, this is, like, it's me. It's me. And, like, she even says, they can't hurt you. They can't hurt you. And he kind of slowly shakes his head when she does that. She's like, I don't understand. She's like, do you understand? He's like, no, he doesn't understand. 
And she's very just focused on him and making sure that he is with her. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. mentally. And it's kind of freaky because basically we come to the realization at the very end of this film that Addie is the tethered. Yeah. She has been switched. Yes. She's been swapped out. And the second time around when you watch this movie or the third time even, you start to see it, right? Where you're like, that's a red flag. That's another red flag. And it's all throughout the movie. We kind of want to save this to for more towards the end of our review sure. here. But this is just one of those crazy moments where you're like, mind blown. All yep, right. Totally. Totally flip this whole thing on its head. But, but then at the same time, too, it's almost like the questions we're asking with in regards to Jason are sort of like kind of redundant a little bit. Because like, for example, if like, Crazy, mind blown at the end. Addie gets switched out. Red knocks her out. She's mm-hmm. she's faints because she's terrified, gets dragged down, chained up. She becomes red. That leads this revolution of the tethered. The mm-hmm. tethered leads the life as her. That's why she came out and couldn't speak. And her parents thought that she was traumatized, just, yeah, traumatized. but she just straight up couldn't talk. Mm-hmm. Jason is still her son. She's He's the tethered son. So you're talking about the scene and you're talking about all this stuff as if... He has a subtle genetic difference, but that's still his mm. mother. It's no, know, no, like, I'm not saying genetic difference at all. No, 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 like like he's different. He's different because his mother was one of the tethered. Mm-hmm. Is like kind of what I'm picking up what what you're putting down. Like he is a little bit different. He can perceive things differently because he is the he son of one of the tethered. More of like a yeah, more of like his his antenna is kind of a little sure. bit stronger. And then in that same breath, that it's was still just, his mom. You're not. Why you shouldn't be afraid of of her because she's the t- the tethered. I'm I, air quoting here because I don't, I don't think he's afraid of her. I think he's having this question is like an existential. No, I think he's having this epiphany that he is the other. He is that right? right? Okay, and wouldn't that not That's freak cool. you out? Like you're looking at it, and it's your family. It's your whole life. What right. if you woke up? And then you suddenly realized one day your mom was actually from Mars. But that, no, <laughs> like, sure. But then that's you know. totally different, though, because we're talking about human-human. And that's what they say in the monologue. Like, Red's like, we're humans. We bleed. We were created. Even anything like, yeah. Like, like, we were created by God. Like, they're sons of Adam is the implication yeah. here. It's just, the, it's just the realization that the reality is not what you thought it was, I think, no, is totally. the craziness there. Sure. And he doesn't say anything. And so they're like beautifully in tune with each other and the fact that he has the mask from the beginning right he he is more aligned with all of that and then you get the other two zora and gabe that are just oblivious (laughs) they're just gonna go with the rest of their days not even knowing (laughs) unless they do find out in the second one which we don't know but we don't know yet (laughs) a couple of really interesting quotes from red down in the the downstairs yeah it was humans who made this place Referring to the underground that Addie has descended into with her and all these white rabbits, all these weird hallways with all these like random, uh, what, what, like seating areas. It looks very like a government abandoned facility. Classrooms everywhere. Although it's 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 not dusty though. No. It's not that abandoned. It's semi-abandoned. Well, these people just exited. So. Right. Yeah. But they're cleaning while they're down there, obviously. True. I guess. I mean, like, I don't I don't know. Was this a direct quote from her here, how they figured out how to replicate the body but not the mind? Yeah. That was kind of another thing she said in yes. that confrontation scene. Which. Where they're both coming to the realization that they are one in the same kind of. Right. You know, they are much more closely akin than they want to recognize. Or at least one of them doesn't want to recognize to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. yeah. And obviously we're sort of the the, um, the little Easter egg leading up to this is like you said earlier, like the line from the daughter in the car with the fluoride, right? About mm-hmm. how not to trust the government essentially. Like, no, I guess nobody cares about the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Or she says some sarcastic line about that, right? Yeah. It sort of implies government control. Yeah, very true. And that we're all rats in the cage or white rabbits in the cage. White rabbits in the cage. So to speak. But the idea that Addie was born special, is that really the case? Or was it just special circumstances that made her into what she is and made Red into what she is, right? Because they both have very, well, especially Red has a very centrifugal role in this whole uprising. Yeah. And the idea that she is the focal point for all these people, like when they witness her, her movements and all this, like, you know, the dancing down below and they Mm -hmm. realize that she's special. I wonder if they recognize that she could talk too. Hmm. Or was she too terrified to talk maybe? At first, I guess. She was very quiet in the very opening scene. We didn't see her talk once. No. So again, that kind of alludes to that. Hmm. This whole switch up scene though, like what did you make of that whole monkey wrench? I liked it. It definitely worked for me. It because did. It, it made me question so many other things. It, it, this movie just makes you think and makes you ask questions, which is exactly what Peel wanted. He said as much. But yeah, that really made me ask the questions of what are these things? And like, what is the energy? What is the connection that causes the tethering? Because it was very easy for Red to, or, well, yeah, for Red to do the swaparoo. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it, 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 it able to do that. They didn't just bump into their double and swap it out. Yeah, that's true. That is very prophetic to a certain degree. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then at the, the, same, the same time here, though, like I found it particularly interesting that they never use the word doppelganger, probably because it's obviously like to make the movie itself more special. It doesn't use mm-hmm. that word. It's a word that's been used before. Catherine the Great, people have been chased by doppelgangers you don't right? want didn't want critics to, fall to be into like that. oh but this isn't a doppelganger because x y and z or something like that right I mean? it's beyond sa- that sure mm-hmm. but then at the same time too it's like we don't really know exactly what a doppelganger is or where it comes from or what exactly it is right but we're brought like i don't even know like it's a curious question because we're straddling the line of like is this paranormal or is there paranormal elements to this which there kind of is or is it purely an experiment or a mix of both right like i just said so because we're led to believe that this is an experiment or a project from a rather strange and sort of nebulous them we don't really know who the Mm -hmm. them is right uh how long has been going on too right because when she was a kid it was back in the 60s uh, or 50s 60s late 50s early 60s maybe um i can't remember the exact date on that one but Yeah, no, it's this idea, like, how long has this project been going on for? Who exactly in the government, if you're calling it the government or for someone else, I'm I'm leaning government with this one. Sure. How long was this project? When was it abandoned? What was the purpose? What were they trying to achieve? Was it cloning? That's just it, right? Like, red states that they bleed, they're human, right? Like, we're like you, but they're not really, right? They're these weird shadows, shadows, mirrors. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean... So we've got these doubles that exist in a world, an underground bunker, essentially, right? But there's got to be more going on with the actual tethering to take, to take place. You know what I mean? Like the experiments or projects had to be involved in some sort of like ethereal space, quantum energies that we don't understand. The project ended, but then there's things like the kids, like the new tethered, 
Mm-hmm. It's like the project just kept going. They end up, the you know, the kids are born. They end up mimicking their doubles yeah. on the surface. There's nobody there enacting this program. So who was Addie's parents then, right? Like, yes. where do these things come from? Like, if were they just manifested spontaneously or did they have to be grown in an incubator? Like, you know what I mean? Like... Is this like the Matrix where it's all in our heads? <laughs> well, that that would actually make more sense because the question I'm left with is like, what is the energy tethering these two separate entities? Everything's connected, man. That's right? what we talk about all the time on the show. What about Nikola Tesla's whole like human energy grid thing? Yeah. You know, what if we're powering ourselves from the other side? Ooh. Ooh, hollow Earth. It's a real thing, babe. <laughs> the hollow Earth. It's a real thing. The other kind of point I wanted to make that we've kind of mentioned already is like, if this is just a physical space beneath the earth, like in part of it, there's one entrance point beneath the Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz boardwalk. There's a bunch across the entire country. It might be a bit of a maze, but why doesn't young Adelaide just le- try to leave once she mm-hmm. was un? Is it a, is it a one way door kind of thing? Right. Like was she How... all of a sudden stuck mimicking and like, couldn't even get yeah. up the escalator, like couldn't leave because she's stuck. Mimicking. How did red get there? You know what I mean? Right. Was it, was it this weird, perfect storm that night when she was on the pier at the fair and she just happened to be drawn. And, and likewise we see it, right? We see the, the mirroring of, of what Adelaide's, Adelaide, sorry, is experiencing on the surface versus what her tethered is. And the, even like the messed up shirt, eh? it's not thriller. It's something like thriller, but not quite like it doesn't have words. It just has these shapes right. on it. Not yeah. even like a picture. No, it's just like the same colors, mm-hmm. kind of like whatever, right? Yeah. So it's like this half formed version of it all. Right. Playing out in this weird subway system, like classroom, strange government conspiracy classified Right. <laughs> I, okay. Just to sort of like muddy it a little further, then this is the real, this is my ultimate like WTF of this, of this movie because the mimicking we see in the film. Okay. I'm just trying to like process all this in my head here. Jason walking backwards, the glasses in the first scene with Gabe in the living room, right? The doubles mimic. So is this a part of the tethering between two completely separate entities that are human, quote unquote, that are tethered by some sort of unknown invisible force that's been harnessed by some sort of clandestine operation that's created this whole mess? Or are the doubles really and truly a shadow as Red states, like the girl had a shadow, right? In the sense that there's a part of them in their doubles and vice versa. Sure, the doubles can come up and kill Mm -hmm. their doubles and not die, but maybe that has something to do with the way, like, Kitty reacted. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even know. It's like they – are they truly a shadow in the sense, like, they're connected by more than just an energy that's the puppeteering? Well, you would have to imagine maybe if they do have this all-knowing kind of aspect to them They're omnipotent, essentially. Perhaps. At least Red is. Right. Seemingly. Well, the rest of them would have to know where to go to find their doubles and to make this all happen. Yeah, that's a lot of coordination, especially on the same night. You know, yeah, yeah. Like, is everyone Mm. just city by city? Their doubles are right there. Like, you have it's within twenty five kilometers miles if you're in the U.S. That's that's a lot of people to account for. Yeah, no, it raises a lot of questions. I can't wait for them. I can't wait. I can't wait. Really can't because I have no answers at all. No. No. <laughs> None. No. But we want to know if you guys think the tethered exist across the world. That remains yeah. to be seen. There are suggestions that this is a unique American phenomenon. Uh, and even Red's line, obviously, we are Americans. So 
this is very Americanized, is very politicized in that degree, but sure. could this be happening all around the world? Hmm. Mm. Adelaide wants to go to Mexico, so perhaps not. Maybe she knows is that it's another, not going on down there. It's right? another version of Handmaid's Tale, essentially, right? This is an American phenomenon. Yeah. Got to mm-hmm. get to Canada. Even Gotta though inequality exists all around the world. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, we're coming down to the end of it. Uh, well, any favorite moments for you or satisfying moments or anything like that? Favorite or satisfying moments? I just loved Tim Heidecker. Uh, that was perfect. So that was great. Him getting stabbed was great. His He was very funny on the beach. But I think, I don't know, my favorite uh, actor, actress in the movie is, is the mother, the mom, uh, Adelaide. Mm, she the, she is the, played the, by the, Lupita Nyong'o. Lupita, I can't remember. The, I don't know how to pronounce that. Sorry. Her <laughs> eyes are just so freaking intense, man. Mm-hmm. And she carries the movie. Like they're all great actors, mm-hmm. um, but she does such a good job. And I love that they're playing their doubles, right? Like, of course, because it's their doubles. Really cool. That Do you get a was, double paycheck? That to me was the most satisfying out of it all. Was the the double casting. I liked that because you don't have to play just one role. You got to play two. And for someone like Elizabeth Moss to play someone like Kitty or, you know, no one wants to play that role. But, of course, she gets to play this badass double that's totally freaky, man, and looks so different. And even, like, the twins, everyone, they were so well done. And I love Jason's double, too. Yes. I really, really liked him, even though he was super creepy. I guess the final scene with that, the swaparoo would be my favorite because it throws yeah. in such a monkey wrench. It's got that music playing in the background. They just exchange the glance. And then she is very carefree at that point, just glances back as she's driving out the windshield. And then he just keeps looking, just looking. That's that. And that's that yeah. until the next one. Well, yep. I definitely would recommend it if you guys haven't been able to guess so far. We pretty mm-hmm. much love this movie. Yeah, it was really good. And uh, it's great. It was, it was great. Really, really great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Looking forward to them, and we'll cover that then. So we want to hear what you guys think, though. Send us a message into the portal mailbox at gmail.com. Comment on Facebook. Come join us in our Facebook group there. Check us out on intotheportal.com if you haven't visited our website, and straightupstrange.com as well as the network page. And uh, don't forget to check out our sponsor, BetterHelp. The link is in the profile. The promo code is PORTAL. Mm-hmm. And uh, we really inc- encourage you guys to check it out. We, um, you know, we're the type of people that would definitely be using this resource so we were really happy when they reached out to us as a sponsor because Mm -hmm. we get a chance to use it ourselves and um, it's almost just one of those things where it's like i actually didn't even really know that type of service was out there i really didn't so that was kind of enlightening and it's not just for people in you know like in dire straits like everyone struggles with mental health problems exactly it's It's not a crisis line it's for just better help overall absolutely the name just says it all totally so Mm -hmm. check that out and uh, we look forward to uh, the next time we get to come on the mic and talk to you guys so until next time on into the portal your gateway to the bazaar This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions.
Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com. <laughs>